Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of what is quickly becoming the only podcast about Nick Cage worth listening to. Not the only podcast about Nick Cage, but the only one worth listening to. My name is Gregory Aikman, I am here with... Thomas Beeman, and uh, I've we're going to fight. Really, what this is about, it's not about pitting two Cage movies against each other, it's about pitting multiple Nicolas Cage podcasts <laughs> against each other, of which there would only be one survivor, and that will be us, of course, because there's two of us. There, there are two of us, and we will kick the living shit out of all those other people. Although, right, do you think we should fight them, or should we be proper devious and make friends with them and then subsue... Sub, sub, uh, you know, I'm going to say subsue, but you imagine the correct word, right? Absolutely. Subsue all of their podcasts into ours. So they all go like, oh, wow, we get to like network and just do tons of shit with other people. This is really exciting. It's like a community. But really, <laughs> we're just fucking getting rid of all of them. So if any of them are good, and I haven't listened to any of them yet, I will, but I haven't listened to them yet. If they're good, that means we'll just be better? Yes, we will absorb and take on every podcast and become an amalgam of Nicolas Cage podcasts. So we are going to, because, um, oh, other Nick Cage podcasts, if you're listening to this bit, it's just a joke. You know how we're all mates and we joke. Uh-huh. 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 But, but to anyone not associated with those, this isn't a joke. We are going to take over the fucking Nick Cage-based podcast world, which is admittedly a niche world. But it is less niche than we hoped for when we started this. <laughs> <laughs> but tell the good people, so Tom. Tell, tell the good people what it is we do here. Okay, here at Cage Fights, we take two Nicolas Cage movies, either that he directed, starred in, minor role, major role, and we put it up against another Nicolas Cage movie to figure out what is the best one. What is the peak Nicholas Cage movie. That's what we're here to find See, out. It's a, it's a simple premise. On top of that, we are requiring more and more things that we have to do. We need to take on every other Nick Cage podcast. We need to write a one-man, one-act stage show for Nicholas Cage. What else? What else are we doing? There's a few other things. Oh, we need to make friends with him. And yes, best friends. Yeah. We need to become. We need to. I reckon this week, my 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 decision for what we should also do is we should get on the front page of any magazine, no matter how small or big, with our little faces looking all sad and our hands together in a praying motion, going, please be our friend, Nick Cage, and just see whether he responds to that sort of thing. Yes, big pouty lips, Mm -hmm. puppy dog eyes, on the cover of any magazine we can get. Well, any non-adult magazine, preferably. Well, well I, I don't know. That depends. Maybe he reads the adult ones. I mean, Maybe we shouldn't exclude them. He reads the adult magazines uh, in a lot of his movies. For the articles, but, by the way. Oh, or ev- or only, only articles. But I'll tell you what. Exclusively for the articles, yeah. Tell you what, though. You mentioned puppy dog eyes. That sounds like a good little segue into the first film. Dog eat dog. <laughs> For context, I watched this movie last night. Normally, I watch them 
before we record. So they're <laughs> fresh in my mind. And then I've got notes and all these things. This movie was so incredibly bonkers. Mm. I forwent taking notes. And I watched it last night and couldn't sleep afterwards. Really? Because it really did something to me that I did not want to be done. Wow. What What did this... So what, give a two-minute synopsis, just for anyone who... Right. Just in case there's anyone who really hasn't quickly, seen it. Because who hasn't, right? Quick synopsis. Three ex-cons do crimes. Yep. That's the movie. That, that, that it is. And Nicolas Cage, he's one for going mental occasionally in films. Mm-hmm. Who who should we put in? Who should we have as a co-star? Should we should we have Willem Dafoe? That's perfect. William Dafoe <laughs> and Nicolas Cage in the movie together? Incredible. Absolutely mental. But go on. So this affected you. This this film affected you. It did. It did because it is bonkers and I'll get into it. So the first scene we have William Defoe's character, Dog. Mm. Is this the titular dog that eats dogs? Who fucking knows? <laughs> uh, but he's doing a drug. He's doing some drug in a house. Mm. Uh, there's some weird TV shit going on. The owner of the house comes in with her daughter. They argue. They get into the argument. He kills the mother. Yep. And then he kills the daughter. <laughs> and then, title. <laughs> Dog eat dog. Yeah, that's the opening. Are we to assume that this dog and she dog? Who know? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I don't like this character at all. There's so much wrong with this dog character that I wish we never went on the ride with this guy. <laughs> but anywho, dog eat dog. We go from that, that scene to a strip club because I let me tell you, I love two things. And that's misogynistically murdering women and then misogynistically staring at naked women. Mm-hmm. That's what we get in this film. Nicholas's character, Troy, goes on briefly kind of about the backstory of all the characters. Just to sum it up, they're ex-cons, and they don't know nothing but crime. Yeah. And they do the crime. That's what they're going to do, some crime. So they do a crime. They steal some... I think he was a rapper. They steal some drugs and stuff from a rapper. <sighs> it doesn't matter. They go to Vegas, I think. Yeah, they go to Vegas. And they celebrate their crime, because they did a crime real good. And I'm going to say that a lot. Crime. <laughs> Be prepared. 14 more crimes in the script. So they celebrate. And the most interesting thing in the movie is that the character Troy picks up a sex worker. And the actor that plays the sex worker is the same actor who plays the flight attendant in Left <gasps> Behind. It is, isn't it? Oh, yes. my I had to pause the movie right then and there and then do some research. And Gregorius, guess what I found? What? Nothing. It's just a coincidence. They're not in any other movies together besides Left Behind. This one? Do you not think this is like an alternative reality? Because like Left Behind, uh, Rapture happens and all hell breaks loose, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Nick Cage's character is a pilot. This lady's a uh, cabin crew flight attendant person, right? As a result of hell breaking loose... He was forced, Mm. Nick Cage stopped being a pilot and was forced into a life of crime, and she was um, forced into a life of sex work, and then they met each other again, but because the devil and God are having an argument, they don't recognize one another, but their paths are Mm -hmm. intrinsically Mm -hmm. linked. I want these two to appear in many more films together, and I'm hoping they will. I 
I was really hoping we had stumbled into the NCCU, the yes. Nick Cage Cinematic Universe of some sort. Unfortunately, none of that is true, uh. and it doesn't matter, and this movie still sucks. That I had to dream up that very scenario you just explained, mm. <laughs> just to make it a little bit more interesting. Okay. But these characters are each kind of paired up with a lady friend. Uh, there's a third character named Diesel. We get a slight peek into his mentality of just being crazy and angry. Mm. That's it. He's a crazy, angry guy. He can snap. He lets his lady friend go. I guess Dog is getting a hand job. Who cares? And Troy is really into this sex worker. There's some relationship there. No one cares. So the next job they have to kidnap and i thought ooh okay cool they they're kidnapping a person troy admits that kidnapping's it's dirty work you know it's not safe it's not clean yeah but they want a big score yeah this is it this is what they need to do go do do a kidnapping crime nice and i thought okay this is great right like this seems interesting this seems like an interesting premise so they go to this rich guy's house who doesn't lock his doors. No. Uh, has no security whatsoever. Well, this is what I think should... Uh, everyone who's going to break into a house, before you, like, ruin the door or ruin a window, try a door. Yeah, especially in, like... This is, like, a rich neighborhood, mm. like... Which is even crazier. you think there would be more security, but there isn't. There seems to be much less. Yeah. So, look, it, I don't want to get into it. The crime goes wrong. <laughs> People end up getting shot in the head... And it doesn't work. It, the problem is, like, I don't care about it because the film doesn't give a shit about it. Because yeah. none of this actually matters no. whatsoever <laughs> to the ending of this film. Because Dog and Diesel go and bury a body. And Dog gets upset. He's worried about being judged because where they're going to build bury the body is where he buried the mother and child that he killed from earlier in the film because he was this fucking piece of shit yeah you know that goes wrong they fall through like a floor diesel gets upset because he's covered in dead body <laughs> rightfully so <laughs> takes out a gun shoots dog diesel's like oh so he reunites with troy the kidnapping goes wrong so they're not even going to get paid for this <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the film doesn't care either you're and so angry <laughs> There, yes, I hated this. <laughs> they go to they they are moneyless. Mm. They try to hook up back with their guy to get a little bit of money yeah. to get to the next job, but they get stopped at a grocery store, where the film takes yet another left turn, yeah. and they get caught by the cops. Diesel shoots a cop, takes a car, runs it into a fucking thing because they swore earlier in the film that they wouldn't get caught by the cops yeah. or anything and they would end it honorably instead and so i guess that's why diesel confusingly drives himself into a wall and i guess he dies like it's not even confirmed um <laughs> yeah. troy our main character gets beat up by some cops mm -hmm. because a cab yeah. and they drag him okay this is uh there's a lot of not a lot. There's a few confusing cuts in this movie. This is one of them okay. where he's getting dragged behind in a cop car. Yeah. And then it cuts to a 1950s diner. Yeah. In black and white. We enter the diner. We get a little snippet 
on the TV screen, like some news that doesn't reveal shit really, other than what just happened. Mm -hmm. This couple walks out of the diner, gets into the car. There's Troy with a gun. He takes their car. How did Troy get there? How do you get away from the cops? We have no fucking clue. It's never, never revealed, never told. He just does it because he is Troy, I guess. Yeah. So this couple is like a, uh, like a, a priest and his wife. At moments throughout the film, not even throughout the film, like midway, like they just remembered that the film was going to end this way. So they had to like actually go back and put in leads mm -hmm. up to it. But they didn't start at the start. They started like fucking toward the end of the film. Yep. Apparently Troy is like, likes old actors uh -huh. and he gives has this voice of this character what was the character's name it's like a humphrey bogart or whatever yeah he's um Who cares? he it, it's it's humphrey bogart and a couple of like when yeah. he's with her from uh left behind he says yep, yep, like yep. do i look like humphrey bogart i've been told i look like humphrey bogart it, it's said yeah, in jail times. someone's like yeah you look so while he is holding these people hostage <sighs> He is doing a Humphrey Bogart accent the entire time. You see, I thought that happened because the police beat him up. They messed his jaw up. So his voice now is more like, more like Boggy. Obviously, that is just cute. I don't know. <laughs> the last 10 or 15 minutes yeah. of the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the last <laughs> couple of scenes of the film. And suddenly he's Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Uh, he gets... They pull over, uh -huh. they let him drive for some reason, mm -hmm. just randomly, and then in the middle of the night, the bunch of cops show up. They won't even, like, okay, they didn't even, like, shoot this scene, the end scene, properly, because mm -hmm. it doesn't make any fucking sense to begin with, but it's like everything's covered in fog, so you don't, you can do it in a studio without actually having to shoot it somewhere. Because yeah. <laughs> that would probably cost money. And, uh, and it was probably a reshoot. <laughs> God, this fucking <laughs> film sucks. And uh, he gets out of the car. The police shoot the car up yeah. with the priest and his wife inside, fucking murdering them. Why? Who knows? Because Troy was standing outside the car. Hmm. A cab, I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I forgot to mention. This is, the mo this is why it was relevant. The couple were black. That's why they shot the car up. Okay, yeah. moving on. Troy's outside the car. He gets shot up. That's it. We literally, he gets shot, falls to the ground. We get the end and credits. <sighs> uh, that's the film. Now, what I feel like I should ask, what did you think of this movie? Why did you? Why, did you why would you ask me such a terrible question? Be because I, <laughs> I don't. Like it? I, I didn't hate like it. it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'll tell you because, like, there are parts of this film which I will talk about what I liked about yeah. this film. Which number one being how much I fucking hate dog mm. is done so well because William Dafoe is such a brilliant and wonderful actor. Yes, he he, he is. is. He he's making it work. He's making us dislike this character. He is making choices for this guy, and he inhabits the character of Dog so well that it's incredibly believable. And then, like, I guess my problem is, like, compared to his acting, mm. the guy who plays Diesel and Nicolas Cage just, just kind of feels 
a little phoned in. One of the problems with this film, I I, I quietly enjoyed it. It's not going to be anyone's favorite favorite film, obviously not. And I'm quite happy to spend the rest of my life never seeing it again. But uh, what I thought was quite interesting and disappointing was the opening ten or fifteen minutes is got very like natural born killers vibe to it like it's style mm. over substance mm, yeah that's right so much smoke mm. and mirrors like it's so he- beautifully yeah. heavily stylized mm. and it's it's got like kooky kooky things where where um willem defoe's on the phone and getting angry and that and everything that distracts him just appears on the screen in a little telly bubble yeah, the the scene where he's doing drugs in the bathroom yeah. and he's making faces yeah it's like oh all the budget of this movie went into that scene because that's really fun and the last 10 15 minutes uh from the diner onwards i really enjoyed it's silly and it's again heavily and overly uh, stylized in a sort of mock bogey yeah. like uh, film noir thing mm. but in the middle of the film it's like they've forgotten they were just filming just a normal film and it wasn't stylized at all like for the most part there were little nods to it but for the most part it's just a standard film filmed in the standard way so i mm. like to believe yeah. that the oversaturated with color stylized stretchy face weird dr- druggy style filming that represents Do- Mad Dog's character, Willem Dafoe. The film noir stuff represents Troy, whereas normal, boring, mm. rubbish film represents the, um, uh, what What was the third fella called, the skinhead? Diesel. Diesel, him. Because Diesel is a rubbish character and doesn't deserve anything special. I, I think, again, as I've said with every single bastard film we've seen, it only annoys me because it could have been so such a fun film, and it wasn't. Mm. It yeah. was silly. It, it could have been a lot better. Yeah, it was. It was quite silly. And <sighs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something about this film. Go on, Paul Schrader. Mm. Uh, he played. He was an actor in the film. He played a character called the Greco. He was like the hookup. Yeah. for Troy. This man actually is a director and a writer. Okay. He directed this film. He's written for other films. The film, of one of which he's most known for, is Taxi Driver. Huh. He wrote Taxi Driver. So the man can write a film? Yeah. He knows what a film should look like. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he chose not to. But... He, he just was like, eh. I, I feel like it's a cowardly film. <sighs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, f- I feel what you're putting out there. Yeah, because I, d- I don't mind, like, all the bits and uh, all the um, bits and bobs throughout it and all the silliness and all the characters being unpleasant. Yeah, whatever. I've seen films with where the, act- where the characters are much worse than that and I've enjoyed them. But I, I just think they should have committed to it being weird. And to it being over-stylized and to it being, like, a ludicrous, almost, like, Lynchian sort of dreamscape of a movie. If they'd committed, if it was all, like, the first 10-15 minutes and the last 10-15 minutes, if the whole film had been, like, little vignettes of that tied together Mm. with the story, that would have been great. But instead, the massive chunk in the middle, they went, shit, we're going to have to just do a normal, like, film. Otherwise, who knows what will happen. And I think that let it down. I feel like 
that might have been what the movie was at some point in time. This film really feels like it was reshot mm. a few times. Yeah, they yeah they afterward after like in the editing bay something went on there. Do you think this would be a really exciting movie to watch uh, a documentary about the making of? Oh, I bet. I bet this has some of the most interesting behind the scenes. There's got to be some stories because there are some bizarre choices being made. Mm, yes, incredibly strange. And the, yeah, like I, I guess, like I, I don't, I, I don't hate the film. Mm. It's just it feels very purposeless. It does. It and does. That's that's the part that bothers me because I don't know. Like I hate the characters so much that I enjoy watching them kind of get their ass kicked and yeah. And that's that's the frame I believe the movie is under. Or at least I hope so, because. Holy shit. And also, one little question, which um, the film doesn't answer, and it doesn't, it's, it's not important, and like you say, the film doesn't care. That's why it doesn't answer any of the questions, because it's mm. just going like, here's here's what we want to do, and fuck you if you're curious about anything else. It's not Hamlet. They were supposed to kidnap a child, and they kidnapped a, a, a baby with... Oh my god. And the nanny they kidnapped as well. Locked her in a room, said, oh. we'll call you in a bit. They never call her, and then they all end up dead. So is she just stuck in that does anyone know she's there i forgot that even happened like the the whole grocery store scene mm. and the uh, there's one more part of this i need to talk about but we yeah, need yeah, to yeah. address this yeah what the fuck happened to the baby and the nanny i don't know because no one knew they were there i have no clue it's 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 a completely loose thread and it doesn't tell you like where they were lo- i mean it shows you they were locked inside a house but is this like a house where they'll easily be found or is this a house where they'll they'll stay there forever what? it's just like a dilapidated garbage ma- i mean she has a phone right like yeah they threatened to do something if she called anyone else but like eventually she's going to be like oh well they're not coming back to kill me She'll use it to call some... I don't know, man. I'm tugging on the only thread that the fucking film gave me. <laughs> oh, I mean, God. it's worth it for how angry you are. You've you've not been angry about any of the films yet. <laughs> no, no. It's It takes a lot, honestly. And this is kind of... I, this. It's hyperbole to say that this is Samurai Cop levels hmm. of irritating. <laughs> but it is pretty irritating. Because in particular, there's a scene... I don't know if you remember this scene, Greg, but when Diesel Mm. is stealing a cop car, oh God, um, one of the uh, police officers shoots a gun at him. Right. And then something happens that is quite undescribable. (laughs) Okay. Try. try. The CGI. Yeah. I don't know what they were going for. That's the problem. Uh, there's a gun that he shoots, and it, they kind of do a thing where, like, they're trying to follow the trajectory of the bullet, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the screen turns into, like, a crosshair. Like, it's looking through a scope. Yes. Of which the officer did not have on the fucking Glock. Yeah. And yet, the gun itself the glock is still on screen pointed toward the center mm-hmm. almost like it's like a fucking first person shooter yep. then we follow the trajectory of a bullet which goes somewhere that is nowhere in the vicinity <laughs> but but then this isn't a realistic film nor is it supposed to be or trying to be it's supposed to, this is what 
irritated me about its cowardice because it was trying to be a dreamlike state throughout the whole thing but it kept on adding too much realism but because it's realism shoehorned into a dreamlike film it becomes just inconsistent and rubbish what is going on in this film i think i think the film clearly has a huge ambition like it doesn't realize mm. it. It, mm. it it doesn't realize yes. it but it's got it's trying to do something massive and really exciting and unfortunately like, think, think about how this the oh i think this is based on a book by the way um of the same name right i could be wrong but think about the title of this film right yeah dog eat dog yeah and how of a like i want gregory think of like the scenes you would write for a film called dog eat dog like yeah. just a lot of fucking cool shit can come from just the title alone yeah. and this is what we got this is what we got but I, <laughs> this is why we ended up i want to read the book then if this was based on a I book do. okay novel ba- based on a novel by edward bunker mm. uh edward bunker who is an he's an actor who played in Reservoir Dogs. That's the most notable. Mr. Blue. Mr. Blue, he was that's Mr. Blue. it. Yeah, the, he was the guy with the mustache, with the, mustache the older fellow. And, and the white hair. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So. Is the book called Dog Eat Dog? I will not read the book. <laughs> I feel quite bad because when we were dishing out who was doing what film, uh, you sounded quite... Because it's like, <laughs> oh, do you want like the 2016... like? funky stupid silly thing or do you want the stone cold fucking classic like genuinely phenomenal films oh and you so excitedly went 2016 please that's the one i want i i was like oh man i did i just did like one of his older films i feel like i keep yeah yeah you have been yeah i'm like oh man we i need to give greg like one of the older films so he can like see like some earlier work and he gets to like talk about that and man fuck i i will never emphatically like now you should always take chances i will i will never like make a decision based on someone else's like pleasure ever again because always be selfish if someone says no 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 you always be selfish bloody choose the thing that is best for you no greg is getting garbage from here on out if i have anything to say about it i didn't this time though i got rumblefish yeah speaking of the yeah rumblefish like tell me i've not seen this film and I didn't watch it this time around. We're a little bit on yeah, the time crunch yeah, for this, of course. We d- for we d- this particular last podcast. Last night we decided so to record today. I am, But um, yeah, 1983 yeah. this is from. It's a Francis Ford Coppola film. It is Nick Cage's first proper film that he was in, but third credit. So the, fir- the first film that he's credited in is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which we'll watch at some point, but he's in that for like two seconds or something. But in this one, he's got a bit part. His character plays an important part in the film, but it's not a big role. But basically, right, Rumblefish mm, okay. is an art house movie aimed at teenagers. And it's fucking okay. brilliant. That makes sense. Right. Yes. It is? This oh, cool. is, uh, the basic story is um, our guy, uh, Matt Dillon plays our... Uh, plays the guy we're following who is a teenage teenager a bit of a hoodlum he's the leader of a gang and just goes around fighting other gangs now the time of gangs has sort of been and gone and it's it's all sort of like faded into memory but he's got these rose-tinted glasses thinking of his older brother who used to run the gangs and it used to be really violent and really vibrant and exciting and sort of just visceral and beautiful and he loves the idea of this and he wants this 
this to be in his life. He wants this to be his future and he can't wait to get there. But his brother's just fucked off and no one knows where his brother went. He just bailed. So he's wandering around just looking oh, for this future and getting into fights along the way and trying to keep this gang lifestyle going. Uh, his brother comes back into town, uh, played by Mickey Rourke. And but back when Mickey Rourke was beautiful, before his face got all mashed up and stuff. God, God yeah, bless that. and and he's instead of this violent man, he comes back as this sort of like Zen god-like messianic like prince that's come back from exile and everyone's looking up to him but he's just wanting to change his ways and he seems to be a bit mentally unhinged but in a really peaceful calm uh trying to make sense of things uh way so the whole film is their relationship with matt Dillon, the younger brother just going like come on why can't you be what i want you to be and the older brother, Mickey Rourke, just going like, hey, don't worry, times move on, things change, it doesn't matter. The whole film is, like, the the plot isn't important, because they hang out. They get into a couple of fights, they go shoot some pool, they um, get drunk and they sober up, and the film ends with his older brother getting shot by a policeman, okay? So nothing really happens or matters when it comes to the plot. The point of the film isn't the story, it's what the story's about. The story's about time and time changing, like throughout pretty much every scene you can either hear a ticking clock or there's a clock in the background or something. You've got Tom Waits, I know just the other week we talked about Tom Waits in films, Tom Waits is in this film and has a little soliloquy in the Holy middle shit. of the film which some sums what? everything up. Yep, he just like it's just him on his own uh, a, as a barman cleaning the bar and just goes like, "When you're young, when you're young, you've got time to spare. So you use a couple of years here, you spend a couple of years there. Doesn't matter much, but as you get older, the time gets more precious." Which essentially is just what the whole film is saying. When you're young, you can waste time waiting, and you can look with rose-tinted glasses towards a future which is already dead but there's an optimism like the the constant clocks there the idea that matt dylan's character uh, as one of the characters says you're smart you're just not word smart like he's he's never going to be the leader of gangs that his brother used to be but because his life is going to be elsewhere and this is this is the film throughout the whole thing you just see a young kid striving for a future he can't get and trying to come to terms with the fact that the future is going to be different for him it's incredible. Oh, wow. And you can tell it's aimed at teenagers as when his brother returns, one of the characters just goes, he looks so old, like really old, like 25 or something. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's great. And the fight scenes Yikes. are beautiful. Like, it's all, again, it's a heavily stylized film. It's all in black and white, but like really sort of like film noir, like chrome and um the shadows are really severe and there's smoke everywhere the fight scenes are stylized out of all proportion but they look almost like beautiful ballet the way that the fight's happening and when people are getting smashed out and that and it the whole thing feels a bit dreamlike and the whole thing feels quite ethereal and like you're really witnessing an event rather than a movie but to get to the important thing, to get to Nick Cage, right, his character is one of Matt Dillon's friends who essentially is telling him throughout the whole film, like, you're not good enough to be this, this isn't your life, 
I'll look after the gangs. I'll get your girlfriend and I'll be with her. And Matt Dillon slowly goes like, yeah, sweet, I don't need that girl anymore. You and her really like each other. We don't really like each other very much. The gang life isn't for me. And just leaves Nick Cage's character with everything he used to think he wanted. It's... A a young Nick Cage just wandering around ruining Matt Dillon's dreams, essentially. It's so exciting. It's such an exciting film. Um... Yeah, that's. Oh, wow. I mean, that's that's the main quick capsule review of Rumblefish, which amazingly I hadn't seen before, even though it's it's one year younger than I am. Wow, Gregory, that sounds so pleasant. I mean, it's no dog eat dog, admittedly, but <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's a there's like a um, a genre of film that I really enjoy that this is reminding me of, but like, you know, second wave. Uh, like cowboy yeah. movies are Edo period Japan samurai yeah. films where you had this like the structure or you had this uh, society where uh, there were characters in place that stood for whatever morality at the time was and yet <clears throat> you know they're they're really mystical and and hyped and I love seeing films that are like well that's coming to a close that day and age is now beginning to end and we're transitioning into something else. And I love seeing characters like the old uh, Clint Eastwood films where they're like struggling with mm. this new stage of, of civilization and morality. And this sounds like kind it, of it what that is, is really just, just for yeah, gangsters. It, 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 it definitely that's cool. That's it awesome. It's a great film, and I thought there was a lot of because I watched this and Dog Eat Dog back to back last night. Like, I, there were a couple of similarities, like not in quality. Like, there's there's different diff, different. In, yeah, no, I can I see what you're talking about. Yeah, they're, I do, they're yeah. both they're both heavily stylized. Um, they're both creating more of an impression by the look of it and the feel of it rather than anything which actually happens in the film. I don't know, and they both seem to be about the end of an era, like you were saying. I think Dog Eat Dog was doing a similar thing. Like, the three of them were were criminals and been to jail, came out, didn't want to go on, and you watched the end of each of their lives, which was obviously meaning that their career in crime was coming to an end. They couldn't go forward. They had to change to a new state of being, which for them was death. And in Rumblefish, like the idea of the gangs and that lifestyle was coming to an end. It was going to be entirely different. So Matt Dillon had to find something else for himself to do. He had to move on. We didn't get to see that. We just got to see an hour and a half of him slowly realising that that life was no longer for him. But the main difference between Dog Eat Dog and Rumblefish is whilst Dog Eat Dog has got a feeling like it's aiming for it to be a really cool film, Rumblefish, it is cool. Like, from start to finish, yeah, you've got Tom Waits in it, which is always a little upsetting, but it's always, like, because Tom Waits is undeniably cool. Whatever you think of him, whatever you think of his music, he's very cool. And like having him working behind a bar and ser- serving chocolate milk. So give me a chocolate milk. Here you go, son. Don't let it go to your head. That it, it 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 makes me think like shit. I didn't know chocolate milk was cool, but but it obviously is. I want to drink loads of it, and I'll look so hip. <laughs> 
That's big oh, chocolate milk. Oh, God. Big chocolate milk. That is a massive conglomerate I could get behind. Like, I, I don't mind them. I feel like they're slightly friendlier than all the others. Yeah, nobody minds big chalky milk. And at one point in this film, you see Nick Cage's bare ass. Oh, yeah. now I have to watch it. I mean, it. How, how can you not? Yeah, I'm convinced. How can you not? Like, it's, it's, it's a Francis Ford Coppola film. It's Nick Cage at the start of his career. You can see the hope in his little half-closed eyes. You can see how <sighs> tall his hair is. He doesn't sing. I, I, I really enjoy these earlier Nick mm. Cage films based purely upon the fact that, like, especially when compared to a film like yeah. Dog Eat Dog, he just looks so much more animated yeah you know what i'm saying like he he moves and breathes and talks with like this this joy and hope in him well it's the start isn't it it's the beginning for him like whereas it's beautiful to see because i'm sure in um i'm hoping we'll get to see that again in the much 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 later films because when like the debt's paid off and he's just choosing films because he wants to do them rather than choosing them because for the payday and going and now i need to find a way to justify why i chose this other than money (laughs) like which you know that's probably really unfair to the man but yeah, the excitement that you could see. In, I mean, it's his part's quite small. He's only in the film collectively for about 20 minutes. But those 20 minutes are captivating. I loved it. I loved That's it. Awesome. Like, no question. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, to no see question it. from me. Out of these two, Rumblefish wins, hands down, I would argue. All right. I, w- I will completely agree with you. Um, I think there's, like, a film that Doggy Dog yeah. could beat. But probably not. <laughs> <laughs> not this one, I'll tell you that much. There ain't gonna we'll, be we'll, Rumblefish. We'll, uh, so congratulations, yeah, Rumblefish. You're through to the next round. You did it. There we have it. Rumblefish steals the show, smashes Dog Eat Dog to the curb. Eat this dog, you bloody dogging shit. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is the stone yeah, cold sort of outro. This is this is uh, why you I chose it. to lead the outro today because I knew I had that gold up my sleeve. I'm telling you, it's a high note. We're ending on a high note. <laughs> so tell me, what have you got going on? What's what's going on in your world at the moment? What can the people I do look forward to? Like the two things that I normally do, which is play video games and stare at Twitter for way too long. Yeah. And you can find both of those websites <laughs> through Google, Google.com. Okay, Google.com, um, you say? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, if you listen closely to this podcast, um, you can... I, I spoke briefly in reverse. I don't know if you caught that, Greg. It was real sneaky. <laughs> but I spoke briefly in reverse. That's my name on Twitter. So the ARG begins. Nice. See, what... What I, I the reason I got a bit distracted by there was because there's a Google Home thing in this room. So when I said Google.com, <laughs> she interrupted to say, "Sorry, I don't understand." <laughs> this nice. like, I'm, I'm trying to listen, but I've got, oh, I've got technology telling me off. <laughs> but yes. Sick. Well, well, what are you up to these days? What am I up to these days? I mean, in real life, I'm I'm busy just moving from one country to another. There's a lot of work involved. But um, oh, yeah. I'm uh, just go GregoryAikman.org. I'm doing a collection of things. What am I doing? I've got a Bible podcast, which is excellent. I've got a uh, it's really good. 
smoke and mirrors thing which i think i uploaded incorrectly so no one can actually listen to any of the episodes but that's just uh lots of uh art noise i did a rap ep with a cat so that's quite fun i might put some of those out i uh i made a series of 15 minute long musicals and i did a stop motion about a worm who gets eaten by a crow so i've got loads of things all of this you can find on gregoryakeman.org and uh yeah monetize your hobbies people and if you're listening to this and you do a nick cage i keep on wanting to say nick cave if you do a nick cage podcast get in contact we'll be mates we won't just consume you and turn you into yeah, what we we'll want. just it's just for talking that's all exactly we're not gonna cage eat cage exactly <laughs> see what i did there beautiful it's fucking brilliant right that's why we're gonna win out above these other fuckers <laughs> There we go. There's, there's, there's no need to say anything else. I don't think we'll get a better out than that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>